This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is sponsored by The Forward. Stay up to date with unlimited access to news, culture, and opinion all through a Jewish lens. And for our listeners, for 2NJB listeners, get six months of The Forward for 15 bucks. Visit forward.com slash partner offer and enter promo code 2NJB to get an exclusive offer for podcast listeners. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, IsraelNationalNews.com. And last but not least, in collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. CEO of a company that was valued at hundreds of millions of dollars. Executive at Nickelodeon and MTV. And recently, a novelist. These are just a few of the entries on today's guest's resume. Shaul Olmert was CEO of Playbuzz, a company that for quite a while dominated online content. If you were on Facebook in five, five years ago, there's zero chance you didn't come across a Playbuzz article. Today, he is CEO and co-founder of a stealth mode startup called Piggy. And recently, he's written a novel, one that caused him to ask himself, is Shaul Olmelt an entrepreneur and businessman who just wrote a book? Or is he a novelist who's been masquerading as an entrepreneur and a businessman? Well, today we get to find out. We are super excited, super thrilled to be joined by Shaul Olmelt to talk about his business endeavors, his new novel, and what his favorite Playbuzz article was. Which one? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey. A Playbuzz article. So Playbuzz was a platform that enabled everyone. It was free, so everyone had access to it. Uh, still still does. The company still exists and, and uh, uh, is growing and blooming. Everyone can access the platform and use it to author their own content using the suite of tools that Playbuzz offers. So we had content creators from all over the world, hundreds of thousands of content creators along the years. I think that, you know, there's no, there was no shortage. There was just um, huge diversity of topics and verticals and languages. We had content creators from uh, countries that I, I, you know, I'm not even sure if those countries actually exist or where <laughs> they just created so people can write Playbuzz content from. Uh, but if I have to put my finger on one piece of content, there was... Um, one piece of content that uh, really changed my perception uh, on many different things. It was kind of um, of a holdup. Like, you know, when you're, um, when you're trying to identify a criminal and you come to the uh, police station, they put you in front of 10 different suspects, out of which only one is the, is, uh, the actual suspects and all the other are decoys. A lineup. A, a lineup. Yeah. And, um, so they created some sort of a lineup for people if you can identify people that you've just seen and to prove that people from different races, uh, it's very hard for them to identify people from other races. So it was really a very... That's racist, what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> On the contrary, it was coming to show that we are all... Uh, it was really questioning the identification of a suspect in a particular murder case. And the claim was that it was very easy for people of the same, of a certain race to, you know, um, misidentify the suspect because they're not used to seeing that kind of, uh, uh, those kind of uh, uh, facial features. Huh. 
And uh, I thought it was a, just a very smart use of the platform and an article that really changed my perception of, you know, my confidence that I can really call out and really identify uh, people from different, uh, from different origins. Well, we are not a billion dollar startup yet, but we do have a sponsor. If you're listening, guys, you have some interest in Israel, I'm sure. So Masa Israel Journey, you got to check them out. You go to MasaIsrael.org slash Two Nice Jewish Boys, T-W-O, Nice Jewish Boys, MasaIsrael.org slash Two Nice Jewish Boys. Check them out. They have great opportunities for coming to Israel uh, and starting your career. You can explore your career path. You can live out your passions, make a positive impact. You can also come to Israel and work and study remotely from Israel. So check them out, MasaIsrael.org slash T-W-O, Nice Jewish Boys. Also, very exciting new sponsor. This episode is sponsored by the Susie and Kevin Davis Foundation, which supports New York City's underserved community through its nonprofit, First Workings. Guys, Kevin Davis and Susie Davis are amazing, and their foundation is even more amazing. Check them out. First Workings. You can find more information about them at firstworkings.org. Basically, First Workings arranges paid internships, mentorships, and extensive workplace readiness training for very bright students from New York's public schools. Check them out, firstworkings.org. Highly recommended. And consider supporting their efforts because it's really an amazing You uh, just cause. know with Kevin and Susie Davis and their amazing foundation, you just know every shekel you put is in gonna, there is a good shekel. It's going to go spent. to the right place. Yeah. For, firstworkings.org. So, so back to business. Play buzz. I mean, if you live in Israel and you know a little bit about the tech industry, Playbus is it's a legend, really, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's huge. I don't know if it is, but I, I sure enjoy hearing that. Uh, it's um, Look, it's one of those things. You start something and you have no idea where it's going to take you. How was it born? Statistically, it's, uh, you know, statistically 95% or so of startups are failing after a year or 18 months. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have no idea where it's going to lead to. And it started out of, uh, out of genuine passion. Uh, when I started it, and it's true for my current company as well, I did not for a second think about how can I make money or uh, how can I, whatever, conquer the world or even about how can I accomplish something and be successful and get the, whatever, the, the fortune and glory. It was more about just, I really wanted this product to happen. I mean, I felt like I'm reading content online and I find that I, like many others, I develop a reading fatigue. It becomes really challenging. It's more like a chore. You know, if somebody sends you a link to an article and you click on it and you open it up and then you just like scroll down just to see how long the article is. And you're like, wow, do I really have to read all that now? And, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a problem. I think technology and many other uh, factors weighed in to um, really distract us from being able to focus for a longer period of time and, and consume longer form content when we're in the middle of the day, when we're multitasking and we're doing a couple of things at the same time. So um, I figured that there's got to be a way to convey content in a way that's going to be shorter, more interactive, more visual, and really just more appealing to users. And that was the that was the quest behind Playbuzz. So I feel like w- when talking about Playbuzz, it, it's clear that it's not as present today. I mean, there's something happened where Playbuzz all of a sudden it was huge, right? It was like there was a day where you scrolling through Facebook, you really couldn't like avoid. I don't know, every uh, five posts was a Playbuzz post, probably even more. 
but today you don't see it as often. So what happened there that just kind of on Facebook, for example, made PlayBuzz? Was the business model too reliant on Facebook? Was uh, well, actually the evolution of the company is that uh, at a certain point we started pursuing uh, less volume and less distribution and more, I would say, vertically integrated partnerships. So uh, now the platform that used to be completely free is no longer free. It's open uh, only to uh, paying partners. So there are fewer of them and that's why you don't see that, you don't run into that content as much as you used to. But I also think that uh, Facebook changed its policies and now they don't really refer traffic to outside websites as much as they used to. They are prioritizing posts that are keeping you within the newsfeed and don't really give you too many opportunities to click out of Facebook. Mm. So it's not so much about PlayBuzz, uh, that's by the way, rebranded itself as Exco. So maybe uh, the reason you see less of it is that it has a different name now, uh, but really the market dynamics have changed. And as for your question, which I, you know, I'm tempted to dodge, but I'll, I'll confront it. Um, reliance on Facebook. I think that in today's world, if you're a media company, if you're an online content company, you're at the mercy of the gatekeepers. And the internet, even though it's distributed and free and, um, you know, kind of an uncharted territory, it always had virtual gatekeepers. There used to be America Online in the early days of the web. And uh, then Google stepped in and became really the portal of the internet. People discovered content exclusively through Google. And uh, then Facebook took over and became really the, the primary gateway through which people start their online journeys. Mm -hmm. So like it or not, uh, we are all at the mercy of, um, particularly of one company and of a set of algorithms that nobody can really reverse engineer and analyze and, and even change. understand. They change every day. They change every day and they don't even change out of a concrete policy. They change out of experimentation and out of uh, machine learning that, that drives them to certain directions without anyone really guiding them. And uh, yes, they are very, uh, you know, I'm very, uh, put my business aside, I'm very concerned about that because I think that um, it's, uh, it has many implications on what content we're exposed to and how exposing us to different pieces of content can really maneuver us emotionally and intellectually uh, in a way that uh, makes people in many cases lose some of their best judgment. Mm -hmm. Before we go on, just a, a bit more about PlayBuzz. I'm not sure people who have no idea what it is really understood. Like, can you give an example for what your product did or, or does? Sure. So um, PlayBuzz is being used by a lot of different content authors all over the world, primarily media companies. So uh, in the US, it can be uh, companies like Disney or like uh, Huffington Post that were using the platform in order to create more interactive, uh, more visual content for their website or for their mobile app. So instead of just writing an article about a topic, they could turn it into a quiz or into an interactive video or into an article that has all sorts of uh, interactive snippets in it. And by nature, it made that piece of content much more popular engaging because exactly because the engagement of users when you ask them to respond when you when you involve them in the process the engagement is higher and as a result all those great content creators from all over the world i named a few americans but there was the the bbc in england and you know all the really the majority of the major publications from all over the world were using it to create content that was more important uh, to them so they invested more instead of just writing 
an article which was easier for them. They actually went into the trouble of creating an interactive experience out of it. And as a result, those pieces of content were uh, uh, naturally more popular with users. And how did you make money? So it was uh, primarily advertising based and that shifted over the years and now they're actually charging a, a um, subscription fee from the partners that use them. And uh, I think business models are always evolving because the way people consume content and the whole dynamics of the market are always, uh, are always evolving. So a company uh, that used to do business in a certain way has to be flexible enough to change that over the years when, when the surroundings are changing. But I think what didn't change is you asked me before about how the company was started. I can still remember myself, you know, sitting down and thinking about this idea for the first time. What I had in mind is pretty much the same thing that the company is still doing today more than 10 years later. It's really about helping people to make content more engaging, more accessible to people, more fun to consume. So enough about PlayBuzz and <laughs> it, now it's called X.co, you said? Yeah. And this is that's actually in its new form where it partners up with uh, with companies to provide content. Uh, so you you're now CEO and co-founder of Piggy. Is it still in stealth mode? What can you tell us about it? Uh, well, we're you know we're out and the product is not yet in the market, but we already spoke publicly about what it is. So I'm uh, you know I don't mind sharing. We're uh, embarking on a really interesting mission of recreating the word processor. So all of us are using Google Docs or Microsoft Word whenever we want to create a document, whenever we want to create a school project or uh, work on our resume or send a letter to someone or do anything that will be stored on our hard drive and we can always access and edit or share with other people or just keep to ourselves if it's a private document. And what we're trying to do is to turn this into a, a mobile experience. So you'll be able to actually create documents on your mobile phone and we're really targeting uh, not so much uh, myself and my peers, but really the younger generations, generation of people that grew up with a smartphone that are used to do everything on their smartphone and that are doing things in a very different way. For instance, uh, as we said, they don't read long articles and, you know, it's probably not very natural for them to write long essays. It's much more natural for them to create what we call stories, to put in uh, a piece of media and a little bit of text and uh, create some uh, interactivity in it and create, construct narratives that are not just long form print bound uh, paragraphs, but really, really more of a multimedia creation. And we're trying to enable them to do that on their smartphone for the sake of document creation. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm actually still interested. I want to go back to Facebook. I think it's uh, it's very interesting because now Facebook has been under huge debate recently since they banned uh, the president, right, and that whole uh, thing. So and and it goes back to what you said about their power. And I wonder, as an entrepreneur, do you see a future platform that can um, I don't know, be a real competition to Facebook and be more fair, quote unquote. I think that um, 15 years ago, Facebook didn't exist. And if you ask someone 15 years ago, 15 years seems like a long time, but it really isn't because we can all, you know, all three of us uh, aging men can, can very clearly remember where we were 15 years ago. Um, if I told you that somebody is going to be the size or the um, 
um, you know, more or less the same size as Google, uh, you'd think I'm crazy, right? You'd, you'd, thought it is, you'd think it's impossible. And there you go. So, you know, I always think, be it TikTok or be it uh, someone else that we don't know of yet, there are going to be other powers as well. I think that when you want to reach this kind of magnitude, when somebody is inspiring to, aspiring to be so big, so um, uh, profound and meaningful in their footprint, they're usually going after the lowest common denominator. And it also means that they'll do anything to uh, get that distribution, which will necessarily mean that they're also compromising uh, some of the values that I think are uh, very, very important to protect. So I'm very concerned about that. I'm concerned about the, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe in capitalism, I believe in free market, but uh, I also believe in checks and balances. And I think that right now the lack of regulation and the independence that some corporations have brought them to a certain degree of power, which is really dangerous for society in many respects. And uh, I, you know, I hope that uh, people will will grow to learn better. And we're seeing early signs of some, you know, five years ago, I was protesting very heavily against Facebook and I felt like I'm, uh, I'm on my own. There was very little uh, echo to Did that. Did you do it on Facebook? Of course, you know, that, that's the absurd. Actually, one of the first articles that was about, you know, the danger in the growing uh, power of Facebook was published by the New York Times. And I took a screenshot of how the New York Times is paying Facebook in order to promote that article on Facebook. And that kind of shows you how, how powerful it is. Even when you, when you want to protest against them, you have no way to do it, nowhere to do it but on Facebook. So yeah, I think that there's, a, there's definitely an emergence of more concern, more um, uh, talks about potential regulation, more public pressure for them to take more responsibility for the potential consequences of the uses of their platform. But I think it's, uh, it's still very early. But as... as uh, an advocate of free market and capitalism, don't you think that the free market can produce a solution? Why should we rely on politicians for, for that? I think that um, we never, um, there, there, there has never been an age in, in uh, human history where uh, technology is so sophisticated that it can outgrow many of the powers and many of the processes that we use to rely on. I mean, right now there's a, when you're, when somebody asks if they can overcome the, the addiction to social media in general, not only Facebook, it's, you're not only putting their own free will against the Facebook app, you're putting their own free will against the massive work of thousands of the best engineers in the universe that have worked for years to create an algorithm that will overcome their, their free will and their best judgment. And I think it's not a fair fight. I think that putting my 11 years old girl against the, the artwork, the construction of all those uh, mega powers that have invested, so invested billions of dollars in order to create a system that will manipulate her uh, free will, you know, I think it's not a fair fight. And I think you gotta, uh, you gotta level the playing field so uh, people, will, uh, people will be in more control of, uh, of their choices. Just like the same, look, I mean, if we compare it to tobacco companies or to alcohol or to illegal substances. It's problematic. Uh, it is. It's not a, it's not a I agree know, with you. Facebook it's not, doesn't cause cancer. Uh, well, we can argue about what they do cause and what are the consequences of that. But I, uh, I'll Still tell you why. Still not cancer. I'll tell you why I think that, uh, that it's an important analogy because... Uh, 
because of the, the factor of addiction, what happens is uh, social media, uh, alongside other things, is something that just is designed in a way that will make you consume more of it. The way that there are the, the choices of what content to expose you and how to position it is meant to trigger, to, uh, to click the buttons of all sorts of human sensibilities in order to make you spend more time on the platform. And as a result, we are seeing that people, if somebody told you 50 years ago that people will spend an average of like eight to 10 hours a day uh, doing a certain thing on, you know, on their mobile phone repeatedly without extracting any you know, tangible value out of it. It's not like they make money out of it or it's not like they, I don't know, whatever, cure cancer out of it. They're just doing it for the sake of enjoyment. You'd be, you'd be shocked and say that those people are hooked. Those people lost their, their best judgment. They are in a, in, a, in a loop of addiction which they can't control. And the consequences are enormous. I mean, we're talking about um, uh, the, the impact that it has on uh, public opinion, the, the impact that it has on the ability of self-image, of, of uh, the ability of advertisers to push things to certain audiences. For instance, social media can... Uh, direct advertisement for, uh, um, let's say, gambling-like experiences to people who are more vulnerable to those kind of addictions. And that's how their, their advertisers make money. Now, you know, you can say that those people who are consuming those ads are, uh, are free to make their own choices. That's true. But they are confronted with a machine that's much, more, that's much stronger than them. And it's taking advantage of their weakness in order to uh, in order to make money in a way that I think society should be aware of and limit. But it is, I mean, it's, that's the world, right? We're all confronted with the society and and the planet. The planet, the, is the, the planet is this system that is stronger than each of us. I mean, right? I am born into a society. I'm surrounded by people that want to cause me harm or seduce me into evil or prostitution to, is or to drive me towards some kind of right wrongdoing and i and no one no one says okay we need to you know save Aton from making <laughs> bad decisions so what how is it different if it's online i would say that uh the uh, you're right we are born into a world that is shaped in a certain way but i think that it's uh, the harness is upon us to try and shape the world we live in and try and influence it positively and i think that taking the approach of that's how that's how we do things around here or that's how things are and and there's nothing you can do about it is a mentality that uh, encourages the growth of uh, of evil powers or of negative powers and i think that all of us need to be very judgmental about the world we live in and try to figure out what works and what doesn't. And you mentioned prostitution or porn, for instance, or I mentioned drugs use and tobacco and alcohol. There are certain things in the world that uh, impose threat to people's well-being and they need to be managed. I'm not saying that they should be excluded, uh, definitely not for internet or social media, but I do think that things need to be managed because if they're unmanaged, true, we let the the power sort of run by them. We let the, the natural evolution of things uh, uh, dictate uh, who's, uh, who's stronger and who's winning. But I think it, it creates the kind of world that none of us want to live but in. But it's frustrating to hear that an, uh, such a successful entrepreneur as yourself, even if we can agree that there are problems that needs, need to be solved, mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the debate here is whether we should turn to 
free market and to capitalism to solve these problems as opposed to and you as an entrepreneur i would think that you would come and say yeah well if facebook is such a bad company look, look at the way jeff bezos responded to the biden uh, tax hike right what what, what did jeff he bezos just came out and said i support the raising of corporate tax from uh, 20 to 20 21 to 28 percent what so, did you deduce from that no, that that not all entre some entrepreneurs yeah. see it as a duty. But as I, a but my expectations to... from Shaul are greater than from Jeff. <laughs> Jeff is who's Jeff. It. That's true. Uh, but um, you know what I'm saying? Like you turn to to the politicians. You no, of think, all people. I think although... it's a combination. Uh, look, I agree with you. I think it's a uh, it's a lot about civic education. It's a lot about uh, parental creating... parental education. Parental you talked about your your. your uh, her life is in your responsibility first and foremost. That's true, but I think that you're uh, putting me up against someone who's much stronger than me if you expect me to block the influence that is uh, being made, again, by great powers. We're talking about organizations, corporations that have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of employees. They're hiring the smartest people in the world. They're using billions of dollars in funding. They're using uh, all sorts of lobbying and political pressure and uh, sometimes in a very unfair way because politicians depend on them for their own publicity and, and good image in order to try and push an agenda. And there's so much that any one of us can do individually to block it. I think that we need to come together as people. We need to tell our legislators, we need to tell our politicians that we expect them to uh, set certain boundaries which will, uh, which will help us have more control on our environment. And, you know, look, I think that it's... Um, Obviously, it's an up, uh, uphill battle, but I think that people are beginning to see the consequences of the, the, the use of social media and the kind of, uh, you know, really uh, unprecedented power that they have in, the, in their hands and are beginning to see that it needs to be balanced. I'm not saying that they should be outlawed. I'm just saying that uh, we need to uh, find the right slope. balance. It's a slippery slope, though. But so is not you doing know? anything. And I feel that if you don't do anything, look, if we haven't done anything about alcohol and tobacco, for instance, uh, it would have been a mess. I'll give you an example. I worked on a political campaign, right? Mm -hmm. I, the listeners know I worked with the Likud. And one of the options a political campaign had mm -hmm. is to take Playbuzz's tool, implement it in a website uh, as a seamless poll. Mm -hmm. You know, you know this option, obviously. And then uh, the guy who scrolls through uh, Haaretz, he sees a poll, and he just—it's just a friendly poll, and he doesn't realize that uh, that his information is being collected and then used to retarget him. So you know that's the slippery slope. So mm -hmm. I'll come and I'll say, "Excuse me, Playbuzz, uh, I'm not interested in you." Uh, using your product to collect data, you know, and so it starts from, from what you're saying and, and it ends and from there, we're in uh, Soviet Russia. Fair enough. I'll, you know, I'll, even, I'll, I'll give you more than that. Uh, the scenario you just described has happened many times. Uh, Playbus made a lot of money from political campaigns. Over the years, we've learned to, uh, to balance that and to limit that and to make sure that it's done in a certain way. But even that scenario you just described, it's still a fairly innocent scenario. I mean, you're answering in, a question. In your values, according to your values. I can only, you know, I can only attest to my own values. Not, I can never express your opinion, only mine, but I'll, you know, I'll present mine and I'm, and I'm happy to hear otherwise. I think that this example in which somebody expressed their political opinion and as a result now uh, we know how to advertise them is a fairly light usage of, uh, of online activity in comparison to what's being done on other platforms right now, I would say that it's not even, 
<laughs> you know, it's ridiculously innocent in comparison to other things. But I'll, for example, I'll, uh, wow, there are. Uh, well, I gave the example of the gambling companies, for instance. Mm. There's a, there's you know there's an algorithm on social media that knows how to identify who are the people who are most likely to spend a lot of money on all sorts of repetitive games that are becoming very addictive, and sometimes um, make their users spend uh, obscene amounts of money on those games. And it's not really an enjoyable experience anymore. It's, it's, an, addi- it's an uncontrollable addiction that makes them uh, lose a lot of money and sometimes get into financial debt and, and all the consequences that it can carry with it. And, um, you know, there's no regulation against it. So, all I'm, but I will tell you more than that. I will say that uh, in retrospect, I feel that uh, at Playbuzz, we should have been uh, quicker to respond and to adopt new policies. But uh, the good news are that eventually we did. And uh, that very same uh, political organization that uh, hired you, uh, we actually turned down uh, some very uh, appealing uh, propositions from them to use our system in a way that we thought was uh, was unfair to users. So But you see again, my point, I'm, though, that that because such values are uh, subjective, um, today you say, well, let's legislate this and that, and tomorrow someone else will come and use... your president and now he'll legislate something against you and but there are many you know there are many rules don't Even, you, f- uh, you don't you fear that though I fear that I think it's always a balancing act and there's no uh, right and wrong but I think that just like we don't want to live in Soviet Russia as you uh, outlined before we also don't don't want to live in an anarchy and uh, by the way the choice is not between it's not like I'm representing a very restrictive policy and the alternative is Um, you know, some sort of a heavenly uh, freedom in which everyone does what they want and everybody's happy. Uh, every, in every country, in every regime, there's the, the legislators, the regulators are constantly imposing rules for uh, uh, boundaries of the game, what can be done and cannot be done and what are the different consequences. And um, so it's really a question of, you know, what do you prioritize? What are the things that, uh, that you're trying to emphasize? How do you want to incur? What sort of behavior you want to incentivize? And then how you send people to try and pursue economic success in a way that's coherent with those values. So, uh, you know, I honestly believe that even though it's hard and uh, even though we all have human weaknesses and uh, I mean, dude, I, I spend time on Facebook as much as you do, right? It's not like, uh, you know, I'm speaking for experience, but I also realize that That uh, it needs to be controlled and it needs to be it needs to stop them from using that uh, that control of my mind share and that control of my personal data and information to be manipulated in a way that uh, will make me lose my best judgment <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we didn't we didn't quite solve this problem but, uh, <laughs> Ethan's face right now is just now I'm just against most. I think there's there's room for regulation I, what do you mean I, I think I don't want to live in an anarchy but I think that re- the the best approach for regulation is to uh, is to create an environment for the for competition and that's that, that should always be the default so there shouldn't be any restriction on you know my freedom to operate as I see fit and for a user to be able to do whatever he wants to do on my platform I will just But say that maybe I'm you, like way too libertarian if you created for, uh, uh, this kind of environment you describe and you put in front of someone the ability to either drink 
as much vodka as they want or as much sparkling water, chances are they're going to end up drunk and, and no. suffer from liver problems mm. uh, or that at least many of them will because many of them will not be able to make the right judgment of when to stop. And that's why there are certain boundaries. For instance, you don't let people in a certain age have access to uh, those drinks, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's all about, I don't think that our, uh, obviously we're not in agreement here, which I enjoy because yeah, yeah. it's, you know, otherwise it would have been boring. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I will say that uh, the argument between us is not whether there should be rules, is as to how restrictive should the rules be. And I think that how the current- How often should you change the rules? If at all. I think you need to adapt to reality. And when you see what the rules do, uh, then you, you re-question the policies. And I think that right now, when we see uh, the level of political uh, extreme uh, in all democratic countries and the rise of uh, very extreme political leaders as a result of social media, they really they organize their base through social media. And the emergence of uh, false facts or fake news or alternative facts or whatever you call them and how they influence the public opinion. I think you got to address that. You can't just set aside and say, hey, you know, democracy, free speech, capitalism, let the market rule. No, you got to make sure that it's not being that this freedom is not being abused by people in a manipulative way that can cause damage. But hey, you know, if one thing I'm really appreciative of is the fact that you guys are giving me the stage to express those opinions, even though you don't share them. Yeah, that's and what I this think, podcast is all about. Exactly. And I think that in order to protect that environment in which we can do that, um, we got to, um, um, you know, we got to keep, keep a close watch. I don't know. <laughs> I think that I think that like for example there there are examples in history where there has been you know regulation that's kind of put a chokehold on certain industry even in it, it, for for substances that we see as like horrible and harmful like drugs and alcohol and always those those attempts to control and confine mm-hmm. lead to like worse situations like you know with the with the prohibition and even with with drugs in the United States then you have all these shady organizations you have crime instead of just letting things and it's not going to be heavenly and it's not going to be a utopia but i think there will be less uh uh, darkness when 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 the dark when the darkness is you know out in the light you know when 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 you let people operate freely and and you don't try and contain the bad then it just I'm expressing myself a little bit more philosophically but, why but I did think you it say, really why is. did you say when he gave the example about the alcohol and the sparkling water why did you oppose his because uh, I don't th- I don't think most people you know there's this there's and I've I talked about this a few times on the podcast but there's this amazing uh, experiment called Rat Park where they exposed certain rats to morphine mm-hmm. and they gave them the choice of morphine and water and uh, and when they put them alone in a cell then yeah they chose morphine over the water always and they got they became these like drug addict rats that were just you know wanting their next shot of morphine. But when they put them in rat park with this society and they could, you know, have rat sex and hang out with their rat friends and they chose water. And they, sometimes the drug addict rats would would uh, wean off of the water and go uh, wean off of the morphine and go back to water on their own volition, which is I, amazing. You know, me. I bet those rats did not have a Facebook account. <laughs> <laughs> that you explains know, Facebook, it. <laughs> Facebook or water, they'll choose Facebook. <laughs> Let's talk about the book. Yes. Okay. There, there is no English version yet, right? 
Will there be? Well, I hope that uh, some of some of our listeners will be curious enough to read the book, and you know they'll they'll actually have to find a publisher that will translate it to English and publish it in English or because finance. they because they want to read uh, what it's all about. Or yes. if someone wants to finance the project, <laughs> that's true. But it was uh, translated. I mean, it was written in Hebrew and published in Hebrew, and it's very recent. I mean, we're recording this podcast uh, really just uh, a month or five weeks after the release of the book, so it's a uh, it's a very new and refreshing experience for me. What's it called again? Uh, it's called the Dream Sellers mm-hmm. uh, and it's really about it's a story that will sound very familiar after you described my uh, uh, my biography it's about uh, a tech founder a startup founder that starts a company and that company becomes very successful very quickly and emotionally and mentally I guess is not really prepared to handle uh, this new reality of being so successful and growing so fast and being in the center of attention and And the kind of toll that it takes on his on its world put him confronts him with uh, really trying to understand what is it that he wants from life and uh, whether or not he's uh, I would say pursuing his own dreams or maybe dreams that others like his family or his close environment have conditioned him to pursue wow. does money <laughs> you know here in Israel everybody's dream is exit mm-hmm. right to make an exit 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 everybody talks about <laughs> exit all the time And you guys kind of made exit mm-hmm. how does the like is it a cliche are all the cliches true or are they uh, falls how uh, does well, it feel all, in real life all, all the cliches are true right that, that's how they became cliches they're just so common knowledge that nobody disputes them they they are so um you didn't uh, come here in Tesla by the way just for the record <laughs> no I wrote uh, I wrote my bicycle my <laughs> non non electric bicycle I'm, I'm an old-fashioned guy in that way and Uh, look, I think that, uh, you know, what can I say? Money is important, right? I mean, it's important to get by and afford a certain lifestyle. And like everything, we all know, it's another true cliche that uh, money does not equal happiness. Uh, definitely not in, uh, in a direct correlation over time. So it's not like uh, Jeff Bezos, which you mentioned, is necessarily the happiest person in the world just because he's the wealthiest person in the world or used to be. Um, And I think that the pursuit of uh, of his um, wife took half so he's definitely not the happiest <laughs> anymore <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's, he's uh, yeah he's the person half happiest in the world <laughs> like but I would say seriously I think that uh, you know when people pursue fortune it's not so much about the money per se it's a lot about I mean obviously people that that uh, are under resourced can can you know, you know can only dream about financial um, um, being financially comfortable and I totally understand that but I will say that the fact that as you pointed out people dream about big money about a big exit about uh, making a fortune it's a lot about a testament for their success I mean if you've made so much money it means that that you want it you aced it you did it you're, you're the man you know you've accomplished something and I think that this is what uh, we did this is what the culture uh, and the media and the people are telling us it's like we are being groomed to believe in that and it's a very complicated and uh, dangerous message uh, again I think I don't know what's the what's the secret to happiness in life but uh, I'm pretty sure it's not uh, it's not entirely based on wealth so I think that uh, as as a society as a culture and I'm not talking all about Israel but about you know the The United States or really all Western civilization as we know it today um, the kind of uh, importance that we give to uh, to money and the kind of the message that we send people that they should make as much money as, as possible because that's going to be the realization 
of their uh, true sense of, wor- of self-worth uh, is a very problematic message. And the book talks about all that? Uh, yeah, I think that the book talks about how in the pursuit of that success, uh, someone, you know, really loses touch with their inner selves. And, you know, to some degree, I feel, even though this story is not, uh, is not my autobiography, it's not really my story, but it has a lot of me in it. And I wrote it because I related to it. You know, I felt like this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how I was in this race and I was actually doing well in the race. Because, you know, if I wasn't, or if the character of my book was just a failed entrepreneur, you would say, okay, you know, I mean, the guy didn't make it. So, you know, let's leave him aside and, and talk about Jeff Bezos or somebody else who's, who did make it. That's more interesting. And I'm saying, no, he did make it. You know, he, did, he was doing well, but he realized that this uh, vision, that this, this image he pursued, he, he chased, um, was uh, very misleading and actually has a lot of uh, a lot of consequences as well. When, when does he realize that? He? Uh, it's uh, all along the way. I mean, you could see that um, he's really, everybody, everybody's jealous at him. Everybody's envious. Everybody's like, you know, everybody wants to be him or wants to be close to him. And uh, and you feel like even though he's, he's way up there where everybody like he's, I don't know, he has court-sized tickets to NBA games and he's on the cover of the Wall Street Journal and he's on television and, uh, you know, many other perks, uh, which, which are sometimes fun, by the way. I mean, you know, there's, not, there's nothing bad about that. But you can see that he's not happy and he actually gets more and more nervous and develops more and more, uh, um, you know, I would say destructive habits that he's unable to control because of that pressure and because of that uh, being in that position which everybody desires and actually getting there can be can be quite scary but is there if we do parallel it to your life mm-hmm. it, do you feel like you did have a similar trajectory where you where you were focused all on the money and then there was a turning point and the money and the success and the exactly. returning point. So it's uh, it's it's all that jazz, right? It's it's money. It's uh, I don't know, fame. It's uh, publicity. It's all those little things um, that um, that again are very um, rewarding. And I'm not I'm not discounting them, but I feel that it's uh, uh, it needs to be it needs to be balanced. There was a point in which I really felt like I'm neglecting my family. And uh, neglecting myself, I would say, I'm really just like chasing after being bigger, being stronger. I became, you know, uh, in many times I became really paranoid about uh, losing everything that I that I just uh, earned or accomplished. And I felt like I'm uh, losing my trust in people because I'm not sure if they're really my friends or do they want something from me. And I felt like I, you know, I kind of lost this this internal sense of balance that is so vital for all of us when we when we manage our day-to-day lives and it kind of it brought me to write the book and i guess through writing the book maybe overcoming some of those uh challenges and really reminding myself uh what is it that i'm doing it for that it's not about um just gaining more and more all the time and it's not about competing with people you know, one of one of my closest friends is a is a startup founder, and for many years we were really uh, we developed such, um, kind of a hostile competition between us because we were you know we were two horses in a race, and at a certain point it was all about being ahead of him. And that's a good book too. And I know well it's 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 kind of in it. It's kind of in that book. And at a certain point you take a step back and you realize, hey, you know, this guy is my friend. I mean, I actually want him to be successful. It's not, his successful doesn't diminish mine, even if he's going to be more successful, God forbid. 
Uh, and, you know, it's, it's again, it's about this. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it because I think it's something that people don't talk about much. And I think it's really important to understand that uh, when you're in this race, you're sometimes really forgetting uh, the, the premises of why you even got out to this, uh, to this journey. And it's, if it's all about making more and, you know, always achieving more, then it's, uh, then it's endless and you can really get lost in that, uh, um, you know, in that race. <laughs> Words right. of wisdom. I have like, yeah. I, I just wanted to, yeah. uh, to ask the, the question that we asked in the intro, but you want to fit something in before? I have like two very yeah. Go ahead. deep questions I have to ask. So Please. the first one is is Israel really the startup nation or is it a PR stunt? Uh, you know, when I, uh, I lived in Germany for a few years and when I got there, I always, whenever I stepped into a room and that room was tidy, I said, oh, you know, you, you Germans are also, you know, tidy and organized. And everybody told me, oh, that's such a, you know, that's such a uh, misconception. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not really like that. So uh, it isn't. There is some truth to it. But I think that uh, uh, same goes to us being the startup nation. Yeah, by numbers, we have the highest ratio of startup companies per capita, uh, the highest uh, uh, volume of dollars invested, definitely in, in uh, uh, the, the current days, uh, in comparison to the size of the country and uh, the volume of population. Uh, and I think that the mentality is very startup-like. It's like we're experimental, we are agile, we are trying to do more with less. Uh, we are all after this uh, craziness of trying to achieve something really quickly against all odds and like, uh, you know, going all in and try to do it in a short, uh, short amount of time and uh, fewer resources. So from a mentality standpoint, yeah, we definitely have a lot of uh, startup DNA in us as a nation. But uh, by the way, it's, it's beginning to evolve because those startups that were created, not only the tech startups, but just all this mentality is maturing. And now we have more enterprises. Less and, exit oriented and more big company oriented. Uh, on the technical sense, but even in the sort of mental sense, I would say that, uh, yes, we used to be very startup-like and we're growing and evolving and maturing. And that's mm -hmm. actually, um, you know, a reasonably positive process. And the second question, do you think that every kid in Israel can, if he's working hard and willing, become a successful entrepreneur? I wish that was the case. I think that uh, it's not only true to Israel. Uh, we're not born equally. Uh, we have very different... Uh, I was very fortunate to be born in certain surroundings and certain circumstances that were um, giving me a lot of opportunities, a lot of resources that not all people have. So, uh, and, you know, I look at other people around me and some of them were not as privileged and did not get the same uh, favorable conditions. And therefore, in the race to, to compete against other people and try to, uh, you know, really uh, finish the race first, uh, some people have advantages upon others. So, you know, unfortunately, I think that we should all strive to give everyone as, as much of an equal opportunity as possible. But as a society, we're not there yet, I'm afraid. I'm not talking about advantages, though. I'm asking, leave the advantages aside. Mm -hmm. If a kid from an Arab kid or mm -hmm. an Ethiopian kid, he's talented mm -hmm. and he wants this, can, he, can this happen? Sure. There are many people from the Ethiopian community or from the Arab community that uh, were and are and will be very successful. But I think that statistically, uh, 
when you come from an under-resourced background and you're not as privileged and you don't have the same exposure and the same opportunities, and maybe the decision makers, the gatekeepers in, for instance, venture capital funds or universities, or everyone that makes a selection, there is certainly bias towards certain populations uh, in comparison to others or to people who have a certain uh, cultural background that those people were never granted the opportunity to be exposed to. So by all means, it's not a fair game. And I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because I think that's something that we should all be aware of and we should all try and see how do we help to uh, to bridge this gap or, you know, to to narrow those differences. I just wanted another argument, but <laughs> I, I wonder if we should. I'm aware of time. <laughs> yeah. So <I'm laughs> <laughs> No, but all I want to say is you're not a free market capitalist. <laughs> You see, that's uh, I think that's the biggest problem that we have is that everyone is categorized like Labeled. you so you so yeah. bluntly did in like either you're from that camp or the other, and I yeah. think we really need to embrace the fact that you can be a capitalist and yet feel like regulation I, is in no, order. But that's that's my problem is that then then the whole map shifts, right? Because I'm, when you have clear labels and you're like, this is what it is then this is what it is. But then someone is like, I'm still this, but he's over here. And then it's like, uh, I don't know. I, you know I'm, I mean? I'm a great video. I was asked once, what is the, uh, like my one motto, one word that describe my, uh, whatever business philosophy. And I chose the word balance. I said, it's all about uh, yeah. finding the, the right ratio between things. It's like, uh, you know, we're all aware of work-life balance. And now we're talking about free market versus regulation. I don't think that we should be 100% regulated. I don't think that we should be 100% unregulated. I think we should find the balance. Where does the perfect balance lie? I don't know, but I think it's something that, you know, you observe the reality around you and you figure out what needs to be altered. You know, maybe you're like, you shifted too much towards one side of the spectrum, so we need to balance it a little. And perhaps we're in a bit of a disagreement about where the balance lies, but I think that, you know, it's always about finding that balance. Mm -hmm. You had something before yeah, we go? Yeah, so I think before we end, we got to answer the question that we asked, which is, is Shaul Olmert a <laughs> novelist? Now that you finished your book, are you, and, and just before we started recording, you actually told us that you had started this whole journey as a uh, film student. That's true. So are you an artist at heart? Are you a creator? Are you a uh, I feel like I'm a very, very creative person. Uh, it's what I like. You know, I read books. I watch films. I Now I try to write them as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, creativity is very important for me. And what I do in tech, you know, it's not like I... Uh, I started a cybersecurity company or a cloud storage. I'm not a, I have technical background, but I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer. I really am a creative person that uh, tries to think, to envision new products and try to bring them to market. And that's really what I like about my job. I mean, I like the sort of, uh, uh, the aspects of uh, trying to conceive something from scratch and see how it evolves and, and kind of usher it through the different uh, conditions and opportunities and challenges and everything else. So I feel like I'm creative in nature. And I think that the tech world offers a great opportunity for creative people to express themselves and create new things. So, you know, I'm just very humbled and very privileged to, to have that opportunity. So both. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, he, he is the son of a politician, yeah. so we can't get a straight answer. <laughs> yeah, we, we never, got we, we got through the whole episode without even mentioning. That's, I appreciated it. That's, yeah, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I didn't actually think we'd do that. Yeah. But hey, I did give, you know, as opposed to politicians, I did give a pretty harsh uh, set of opinions about very questionable yeah. Uh, yeah, topics. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, that's um, true. If we yeah. would have asked a politician, they would have walked around the <laughs> yeah. question a we thousand times. We stopped bringing them. And, <laughs> it's just yeah. useless. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so where can people find the book? Uh, in every bookstore in Israel and uh, online, of course. So if you read and Hebrew. Exactly. But unfortunately, you know, some people I actually, you know, since I, I've lived in the States for about 20 years on and off, I have so many friends who live abroad and everybody, were, they were all asking me, uh, you know, hey, how's it going? When can we read the book? And I always yeah. said, well, if you guys really like me, you'll, le you'll learn Hebrew. <laughs> But uh, so far, none of them did. So, you know, oh. I guess I have to re-question some of my friendships. <laughs> um, are you you're on social media? Oh, yeah. So let's plug it. Where can people find you? Everywhere. Honestly, when, whenever I, I don't know, I finish a lecture or something and somebody comes to me and says, hey, I really want to, I don't know, present my startup to you. And I say, great, you know, uh, look me up. And he said, can I have your phone number? I'm like, dude, come on. If you can't find me by yourself, then maybe we shouldn't be talking. And they're all like, okay, I get it. And yeah, they find me on, uh, yeah. you know, that social network that we might have mentioned the name of yeah. or, <laughs> or LinkedIn or Twitter or, you know, I'm everywhere and I'm accessible. Shaul Olmert, guys. And, and I love yeah, talking to people. As so you hear it. Hook me up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, before we go, th first of all, thank you so much for coming. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Before we go. First of all, we're sponsored by Massa, so please check them out. Yeah, check them out, guys. MassaIsrael.org slash two nice Jewish boys. That's spelled out T-W-O, nice Jewish boys. MassaIsrael.org slash two nice Jewish boys. Also? Also, uh, Forward, the Forward guys, they're a great source for opinion, for news, all through a Jewish lens. You check them out at Forward.com slash 2NJB, and you get an exclusive offer for podcast listeners forward.com slash 2njb you get six months for 15 bucks check it out also let's share israelnationalnews.com please go and check them out we are on their website and they have great content in english about israel and so, down under the australian jewish news yes ajn.timesofisrael.com check them out for the australian angle on jewish news ajn.timesofisrael.com and lastly we accept donations so please help us out go to 2njb.com donate and throw some money in our direction and that yeah. is it thank, thank you. you so much thank you guys bye bye guys <laughs>